Let's hear the word of God this morning and return to the book of Philippians. We're in Philippians chapter 1. Philippians chapter 1, we'll read from verse 12, just to get the sense of the context. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. Let's hear the word of the Lord. Philippians chapter 1, verse 12. But I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel, so that my bonds in Christ are manifest in all the palace and in all other places. And many of the brethren in the Lord, waxing confident by my bonds, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ even of envy and strife, and some also of goodwill. The one preached Christ of contention, not sincerely, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defence of the gospel. What then? Notwithstanding, every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached, and I therein do rejoice, yea, and will rejoice, for I know that this will turn to my salvation through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ according to my earnest expectation and my hope, that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. But if I live in the flesh, that is the fruit of my labour, yet what I shall choose I would not. For I am in a strait betwixt two, having a desire to depart and to be with Christ, which is far better. Amen. We'll end the reading there at verse 23. And we pray God will stamp his own approval and blessing and reading of the Holy Scriptures. Now my text this morning is taken from Philippians chapter 1 and verse 21. For me to live as Christ and to die as gain. And I want us to consider this theme, the life that is worth living. Think of these words, for to me to live is Christ. Now I believe that the words of my text constitute one of the most profound statements ever uttered by the Apostle Paul. I believe this is a very sublime statement. I believe it's a statement that's straightforward and bears personal testimony to the Apostle himself. Remember, the Apostle Paul is writing to the Philippian church. They are concerned for him and for his well-being as he faces imprisonment in Rome. As uh, the church looked at that situation, they were fearful that the gospel would be hindered, that the church growth would be stunted, that the uh, advance of the gospel would be affected, that, that many saints would be discouraged and disheartened. 
And um, I believe, of course, that their concerns were real concerns, that they were genuine, that they, they were uh, uh, acting out of love toward Paul. They, 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 they loved him. They, they held him in the highest esteem. They, they were anxious about him and, and the work of the gospel. They remembered that he was under 24-hour guard, that he faced death at any moment. Wicked Nero was on the throne. He was the supreme uh, Caesar or the supreme emperor. And he, of course, could and did and had Christians killed simply for sport. Of course, the amazing thing for us to understand is this, that the Apostle Paul in prison under these circumstances wasn't dismayed by his circumstances or situation. He was confident. He was full of joy in the Lord. He believed in a sovereign God who was fulfilling his plan and purpose for his life. He wasn't in denial about his situation or circumstance. He hadn't got his head buried in the sand. He knew where he was, prison in Rome. He knew what situation that he was in, chained 24 hours 7. He knew what he faced, imminent death. But even in that situation, he had a very clear view of his life. He had a very clear view of his death. And the amazing thing is this, neither terrified him. He was happy. He rejoiced in the Lord. As long as Christ was magnified, as long as Christ was preached, as long as Christ was being honoured, Paul could say, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. I want us to think of this morning of three things, the life that is worth living. And I want to think of these words. For to me. To live. Is Christ. That's just the first part of the text. I want you to think of three things. I want you to think about. The significant. Purpose. In life. For me. To live. Is Christ. I'm going to begin with asking a question. What is your life? What are you living for today? A young man came to um, Prime Minister Gladstone on one occasion when he was the Prime Minister and he said, Mr. Gladstone, I would appreciate if you'd give me a few minutes of your time in which I could lay before you my plans for the future. I would like to study law. The Prime Minister looked at him and said, Yes, young man, wonderful. What then? The young man said, well, I would like to gain entrance to the bar. That's great, yes. Well, what then? Well, I would like a place in Parliament, sir. Become an MP. Yes, that's great. Well, what then? He says, well, I hope to do things for the the country and, and better the United Kingdom. Yes, well, that's great. Wonderful aspiration. But what then? Well, then I should retire and... Take life easy. And what then, young man? And then the young fellow says, well, well, I suppose I'll I'll die. Yes, young man. And when you die, what then? The young man said, sir, I never thought of that. And this is what the prime minister's alleged to have said. Young man, you're a fool. Go home and think life through. He was really saying to that young man, What are you living for? You see, your purpose and mine determines the direction 
of your life. And if your purpose is wrong, then your direction will be wrong. And if your purpose is vague and fuzzy, then your direction in life will be vague and fuzzy. And it's crucial, it's vital, it's clear in your answer to the question, what are you living for, that you give the correct answer. And that answer, what you're living for, must include some thoughts about the fact of death and what lies beyond and after death in eternity. Because as I think of these words, for to me to live is Christ. The Apostle Paul was very clear. He was completely focused. He had a purpose for which he lived. A purpose that took in the subject of death, the subject of eternity. It was brought into the account. And whether he lived a short life or a long life, he wanted that purpose for which he was living to be fulfilled. Think of the context. Look at verse 20 and we'll come into verse 21. According to my earnest expectation and my hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed, but that with all boldness as always, so now also Christ shall be magnified in my body, whether it be by life or by death. For to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. And the great Dr. Martin Lloyd-Jones, who was in at Westminster Chapel in the 1950s and 60s. Speaking of this text, this is what he said. This is not only a statement of the apostles' true experience, but it's also a standard of judgment which confronts us with the most thorough test of our Christian faith we will ever encounter. What did he mean? He meant this, that every person who professes Christ as Savior must grapple with this question, can I honestly say, for to me to live is Christ? And if I say, yes, that is the purpose of my existence, then I will also answer that fundamental question of what about death and what lies beyond? You see, these words this morning, very sadly, are meaningless to many non-Christians. The non-Christian has a different view of life. If I asked the non-Christian, what is your life or, or what, what are you living for? Well, well he's going to say, well, well, I live for my family. And haven't we heard that often at funerals? Such and such a man lived for his family. Or lived for finance. Or lived for fulfilling my dreams. Or lived for a fun-filled life. Lived for fame. You think of the, the, the footballers and their wives. You, you think about the Hollywood actors. You think about the pop stars. And isn't it all about fame? It's all about themselves. You see, the worldview of the unconverted is a self-centered life. It's my family, my finances, my fame, my fun, me fulfilling my dreams. 
to them, Philippians 1.21, at least these first few words, for me to live as Christ, they make no sense. It's foreign as far as they're concerned. Well, it's a stupid statement that they would really tell us probably, well, it's a waste of a life. Yet I want to tell you this morning, it made perfect sense to Paul. See, the Apostle Paul, young people, knew why he was here on earth in the first century. He knew why he was alive. He knew what he was really living for. And he knew where he was going at the end of the life. And we could say, but Paul, you're in prison. That's right. Paul, you're awaiting death. Paul, you're facing trials and difficulties now. Paul, you're in a world of affliction. You're in pain. And yet here he is, perfectly rational. He's in a state of calmness. The sum purpose of his life can be summed up, young people, in one word. Notice what the word is. For to me to live is what? Christ. He's not focusing on the world around him. He's not taking up with power. He's not a power crazy preacher. He's not after possessions. He's not living for the top spot in the Christian church. No, he's completely taken up with Christ. As I live out my life on earth, he's telling us, this is my purpose. Christ is the center of my life. It's not that Christ is the first place or the second place or the third place, but Christ is the center. Christ is every place in my life. Matthew 6 and 33 comes to mind, but seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things shall be added unto you. Now, I confess this morning, I believe that this is a very challenging statement to my own heart. Because if we take what Lloyd-Jones said, it's not only a testimony of Paul's experience, which is great, and we love that, but it's a test of our Christian faith. If we profess to be saved and trusted Christ as Lord and Savior, then can we honestly say before God, for to me to live is Christ. And I just want to tell the young people something. Paul wasn't a super Christian. Paul wasn't an extraordinary man. He wasn't on a higher level than us. He, he, he wasn't on a, in a different band to us. Paul was a man of flesh and blood, a man subject to like passions as we are, a man that had fears and worries, and yet a servant of Jesus Christ. We couldn't just merely dismiss this and say, well, that's okay for Paul to make such a, a, a statement. But it's not for us in the 21st century because we'll be wrong. This is, yes, a testimony of Paul's experience, but it's a test of where we're at as far as our Christian faith is concerned. The greatest thing in life for every child of God who is genuinely saved ought to be that this purpose has gripped his heart and mind. Because I want to tell you this morning, when we get a hold of this, what is my purpose, and my purpose is Christ and in Christ alone, then 
Everything else takes secondary place. Everything else fades into the background, whether it's reputation or riches or, or religion. Everything is subservient to Christ. And as I've said, if this truth grips us, a truth, I believe, will make a big change in our lives, personally. Make a big change in the life of the church. Make a big change in the life of our own denomination. Make a change that, that will ultimately affect the country. Because if you have every true believer gripped with this purpose in life, and the only purpose I have is for me to live as Christ, then what a difference it makes in our individual lives, in the life of our churches, and in the life of our denomination. So I come back to this. Who or what are you living for? You see, you can live without a purpose. And many do. And of course, that's a big dilemma. Because those who live without purpose live without meaning. And a man or a woman without a purpose is like a ship without a rudder. And a man that, that lives for nothing will accomplish nothing. This is a very purposeful statement. A significant purpose. This is also not only a significant purposeful statement, but this is a profound statement. You see, what does this mean? For me to live is Christ. What does that mean? Let me suggest three areas this morning. Paul was saying, it's a life of faith in Christ. You see, there was a time when the Apostle Paul could not have spoken these words. These words would not have entered into his mind. There's a time, of course, when he was a very deeply religious man. He was involved in Judaism. And he was living to destroy, effectively, the church of Jesus Christ. He was doing the church of Jesus Christ to death. Because if you turn over there to Acts chapter 9, and you look with me at verse 1, you will discover something about this man. And this is what it says. And Saul, that was his name before he was converted, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus to the synagogues, that if he found any of this way, whether they be men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. Now, now here's the life that this man lived. He was breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the church. He was opposing the name of Christ and the Christian who, who loved the Savior. He was willing to, to persecute them. He had, he had no time for Christ. He, he would have denied him. He would have rejected him. He had no interest in his person and work. He had, he had no interest in the life-changing power of Christ and the gospel. He had no interest in the people of God. He, he had no partner lot with it. His life was a life of self-centeredness. That was why he existed. That's what he endeavored to do. Paul, or Saul the persecutor, Saul the blasphemer, Denied Christ. Is he the Messiah? No, he's not. Is he the Son of God? No, he's not. Is he the Savior of sinners? No, he's not. And then Paul had a Damascus Road experience. You've all heard of the Damascus Road. You could still go to Damascus and you could travel on the Damascus Road. But in Acts 9, here's what happened. On the Damascus Road, 
He was suddenly and wonderfully and instantaneously converted. And for that moment when he got converted, he discovered something that was wonderful, that Christ is the sole answer to life, that Christ alone is all we need. Remember he said in Acts 4 verse 12, neither is there salvation in any other, for there's no other name under heaven given among men whereby we must be saved. And from that very moment of his conversion, he endeavored to live for Christ. And it's now 30 years on from that time. He's in prison. He's chained to the guard. And listen to what he says in uh, Timothy, in um, 1 Timothy chapter 1, and, and in the verse uh, 12. Uh, and, and he says this in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and verse uh, 12. Sorry, it's 2 Timothy chapter 1 and verse 12. Uh, and he says this. Nevertheless, I'm not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I'm persuaded that he is able to keep that I would have committed unto him against that day. Faith in Christ as Saviour. A saviour who saves from sin's penalty, sin's power, sin's pleasure. And one day from the very presence of sin. And it wasn't only faith in Christ as his saviour, but it was faith in Christ as his strength. Remember he said, I can do all things through Christ which strengtheneth me. It was faith in Christ so he could shelter and have security in Christ in, in the storms of life. It was faith in Christ as his shepherd and bishop of his soul. It was faith in Christ as the, the surety, the one who, who guaranteed the price was paid for the broken law. You see, you think of all that Paul faced in life's journey. Remember his three missionary journeys? His opposition after he got converted? His imprisonments? His trials and troubles? Think of his battles and his beatings? Think of the good times, the dark days? Think, think of his church planting. And you know, as the Apostle Paul lived before God, this is what he could say. Galatians 2 and 20. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live, how? By the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. I live by the faith of the Son of God. That faith was implanted within him as a gift live in his life in the body in the world right now living by the faith that Christ has given me of which Christ is the author of which Christ is the object of which Christ is the finisher and I asked this morning do you have faith in Christ is he your Lord and Saviour is he your strength in time of need? Is he your shelter in the time of storm? Is he the shepherd and bishop of your soul? And do you live the life that you live in the body? Do you live by the faith of the Son of God with Christ as its author, its object, and its finisher? You, you never have a perfect faith. But it's faith in a perfect Savior. And you can trust him at all times. No matter what happens, what situation, circumstances arise in life. Secondly, it's a profound statement for another reason. Because it speaks of a life of fellowship. You see, Paul, I believe, loved and lived for daily communion with Christ. And he had Christ with him on life's journey as his daily companion. Christ had said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. And that word never is in the Greek negative. 
uh, context five times, I will never, 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 never leave you nor forsake you. Isn't that an encouragement? Isn't that a comfort? Matthew 28 and 20, Lo, I am with you always. And you see, Paul esteemed fellowship with Christ as one of the most important meetings that you'd have on a daily and weekly and monthly and yearly basis. More important than meeting kings. More important than meeting rulers and other dignitaries. You see, after he was saved, I want to tell you the second thing he did in the Damascus Road. Remember, he called out, Lord, what will thou have me to do? And we're told in Acts chapter 9 and verse 11, Ananias, of course, was given this information. Behold, he prayeth. Paul lived a life of daily communion with the Lord. Remember he said to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 2 and in the uh, verse um, 4 he says, <coughs> verse 2 rather, 1 Corinthians 2 and 2, for I determined not to know anything among you save Jesus Christ and him crucified. He said, and I was with you in weakness and in fear and in much trembling and my speech and my preaching was not with enticing words of man's wisdom but in demonstration of the spirit and of power. You think of him now. Here he is in Rome. His hands and feet are chained on a daily basis, 24-7. His body's wrecked with pain. He's experienced physical suffering. And yet, despite what he faces, no amount of physical suffering is hindering his communion and fellowship with Christ because he, he lived for Christ. He was determined to know him. In fact, he says in Philippians chapter 3 and verse 10 that I may know him and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being made conformable unto his death. Now, let me illustrate that if I can for a moment. Supposing a man is married and he has a wife and he says, Do you know, I love my wife, but he's never seen with her in company. He doesn't talk to her at all, 24-7. If he's away from home, he would never send her a letter. She doesn't get a phone call. She doesn't get a text. She doesn't get a, 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 an email. Whenever he's away, he wouldn't arrange any time to meet up with her at a certain destination. He doesn't take her out and, and uh, treat her to a treat now and again. You would think, well, if a man's married and he says he loves his wife and he's behaving in this way, there's something wrong. It's wrong for him to profess that he loves her and manifest this very strange behavior toward her. It, it doesn't add up. It's a very strange kind of marriage relationship. And of course, that was happening. And I was the pastor. I would probably be getting a phone call to say, Pastor, I need a bit of help here. What should I do in this situation? Could you talk to my husband? Oftentimes, we as God's people, unlike Paul, treat Christ the very same way. We could ask the question this morning, what excites us? What exercises us? When it comes to the Lord's Day, when it comes to reading our Bible, when it comes to seeking the Lord's face in prayer, when it comes, of course, 
in living out our lives, dealing with legitimate things? Is our mind and our heart always focused on Christ? Because if Christ is our life, then we will live a life of constant communion and fellowship with him. And yes, we'll have commitments. Yes, we'll have family commitments. Yes, we'll have work-related things to deal with. But there'll be a burning desire in our heart. There'll be a, a, a burning determination. That there'll be a burning decision that nothing, not even physical suffering, will hinder my communion and fellowship with Christ. It's a life of fellowship. It's a life of faithfulness to Christ. A life of faithful service. Did you know that John Bedford... Or jo- sorry, John Bunyan of Bedford. I was going to say John Bedford of Bunyan, but John Bunyan of Bedford, he was in prison for 12 years for preaching the gospel without a license. And he got out of prison in 1672, and whenever he was released, he went back to do the very thing he was put in prison for in the first place, preaching. And then they come and arrested him again because they said he was still preaching without a license. That was under the reign of Charles II, and he was put back into prison. And I thought of John Bunyan. He had a life of faithfulness to Christ. It was all he lived for. And the Apostle Paul was the same. When he faced shipwreck, when he faced false slander, when he faced hatred, uh, he, he, he faced beatings. Remember, five times, 40 stripes saved one. Why did he endure it all? Because he was living for Christ. He didn't give up. He didn't give in. He was determined. He was full of passion. That there was perseverance. That there was patience. Do you know what? He looked upon it as a privilege. He viewed Christ as precious. It's a privilege to know him. It's a privilege to live for him. I was even thinking, of course, of C.T. Studd's statement of Jesus Christ be God and died for me. Then no sacrifice can be too great for me to make for him. And we think of Paul's call there in Romans chapter 12. And remember what he says. Romans chapter 12, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, wholly acceptable unto God, which is a reasonable service. The least you can do. And yet the reality is, the sacrifices that we make, and this is how Paul saw it, the sacrifices I make, giving my back to the rod, being shipwrecked, being falsely accused and slandered, being, being hated and despised for the sake of Christ, no sacrifice that I make, is anything in comparison of living and promoting Christ in the gospel. It was a life of faithfulness to Christ. Not only a statement that was purposeful and a statement that was profound, but a statement of promotion. You see, as I finish this morning, I want you to think of this. Paul was saying the life that I live is a life of full surrender to Jesus Christ. Paul gave up everything for Christ. He gave up his religious life in Judaism. And you can read about that in Philippians chapter 3. How he was a very religious man, probably a member of the Sanhedrin Council. And yet he gave up his religion that he might win Christ. He gave up his riches. He could have been a very wealthy man, given that he was highly educated. But Paul had no attachment to possessions. He he was not living for gold or silver. Did you know this man lived in gifts and hands outs? 
There was clothes given to him. There was money given to him. There was food given to him. Do you know what? I want to say this this morning. He wasn't a career preacher. And if we have career preachers in the free church, may the Lord deliver us. Because I want to tell you this morning, I have never been a career preacher. And I'll tell you something else. I've never been a covetous preacher. I've never been one who has lived merely for money. And if we have career preachers and money-orientated preachers, then the Lord deliver us. Because Paul was a Christ-centered preacher. And possessions and riches and money, it meant nothing to him. What about his relations? Do you know he had no wife, Paul? We don't read it. He was married. He had probably had a family. Certainly, obviously had a mother somewhere. He had a father somewhere. He had brothers and sisters. But do you know what? He put the Lord first. I just read recently, and I was thinking of this. Uh, uh, I don't know the people, but in the Agri Gospel Mission, there was a, a Mr. and Mrs. McComb. Some of you may be familiar with this story. And they had a, gone out to uh, the mission field. And they, at that time, they had a four-and-a-half-year-old daughter called Irene. And they decided before God that they would not take Irene to the mission field. And, of course, they were brokenhearted. And they left the wee child sobbing at the quayside when they got on the boat. And you know, they didn't see her for eight whole years. There's a lady who was also at the boat called Molly Harvey who was greatly affected by that. She was unmarried. But she was thanking God she wasn't married and would never have to make that difficult decision of, of leaving a child. But it's possible to give up father and mother and brothers and sisters. For the sake of Christ and the gospel. Why? Because Christ was first. And that involved that surrender. All to Jesus I surrender. He gave up his reputation. Do you know where he lived? He lived in a city called Tarsus. That was no mean city. He was trained at the feet of a very learned man called Gamil. He had the best education possible. He went to the highest, greatest university in the land. And people no doubt would have been backslapping him and saying, Well done Paul when he finally graduated. But Paul didn't let his good education drive him away from Christ. And I would say to you young people, while I, I want you to be highly educated, don't let education take you away from Christ. Moses refused to become the son of Pharaoh's daughter because he esteemed the reproach of Christ greater riches than that of Egypt. It was a life of full surrender. That he might live a life of full service. For to me to live is Christ. And I close. What's your purpose for living? I asked you. Have you got a, a life of faith in Christ? A life of fellowship with Christ? A life of faithfulness to Christ? And do you live so that Christ is promoted? So that everything that you have. Whether it's religion. Reputation. Riches. Relations. Whatever. You're willing to sacrifice them all. That Christ will be seen and promoted in your life. That they'll take second place. That he might be the centre. Thank you for listening this morning. I trust and pray God will bless these few thoughts to you today.